Welcome to Joint Effort with Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. This podcast covers the pain and injuries that are associated with muscles, ligaments, and joints. Welcome to Joint Effort. I'm Baron Bremner, and today I have Anthony Tedesco, who is a sports medicine surgeon in Grinnell, Iowa. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Baron. I appreciate it. Um, you're a looking at your resume. You're a Florida guy who trained in San Diego, mm-hmm. and then you settled in what you guys call flyover country. So can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> well, to be honest, I got a little bit sick of uh, the warmth and sun. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, so while I was a med student, actually, in Florida, I met a, an Iowa girl. And interestingly enough, we met on a cruise out of Tampa, Florida, which is kind of where I w- was from and living at the time. And, uh, and then she kind of followed me to residency in Ohio. And we uh, ultimately then had, had a son. And then once we had that son, we realized it's like, boy, this is really tough having a family with no help. And so we were looking around. My family's kind of scattered all throughout mm-hmm. the country. And, you know, her family is still here in Iowa because that seems like that's a, a thing with Iowa people is that yeah. they don't tend to leave, which I guess is a good sign. And so, True. you know, True. She, she we was complain pushing. about it, but we stay here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But she was pushing to kind of come back here and, you know, it ended up uh, working out really well for us. We so really she made an here. honest man out of you, huh? She did. Yeah, okay. she sure did. Uh, so tell me about your sports medicine background. So, you know, I've kind of always been involved with sports. Um, when I was in high school, I played baseball. We didn't really have any other sport options uh, given my size. <laughs> so I was a baseball player. And then when I was in undergrad, I coached baseball as well. So I've always been involved with sports. And so orthopedics was kind of a, an obvious choice mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I was looking at time for fellowships, it's like, well, you know, I really like this working with athletes. I like the sports side of things. Yeah. We, in um, residency, we covered one of the local colleges and I really enjoyed going to the mm-hmm. football games kind of working with the teams there and so you know again sports medicine was kind of an easy choice for me and and so then you know did fellowship out in San Diego it was a kind of a more bread and butter sports stuff you know we didn't do any of the really complex stuff but it was a lot of everyday sports mm-hmm. medicine but also did get to cover San Diego State and work with some athletes there work with the uh, AHL hockey team the um, San Diego Gulls they're the essentially the AAA below the NHL for the okay. Anaheim Ducks and mm-hmm. so we did get a lot of sports experience and got to work with some athletes and also you know kind of got myself ready for for practice too mm-hmm. which was you know a nice part of it so and uh, where are your wife's family from? So her half of her family, her whole mom's side of the family, is actually in Altoona, um, okay. so not too far from here. And then mm-hmm. her dad um, and sister actually still live in Cedar Rapids, which is where she grew up. And so, so you're in between. Grinnell's Grinnell. perfect for That's us. Perfect. Yeah, pretty small town, very good college there. Yep. I think Grinnell has like, I don't know if you know this, but has like an endowment that almost rivals Harvard's as far as how much money it has on hand. It is pretty insane how, Very I successful. mean, for, for such a small school, I mean, it is a beautiful campus and it seems like there's a lot, a lot of money there. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. A lot of uh, very smart people go there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, we're lucky to have a lot of really good small colleges in Iowa like yeah. that. Um, what kind of, uh, practice do you enjoy doing? What is your, your bread and butter and you know, how, since we put you, you know, you're in a town that where you're our only Des Moines orthopedic surgeon there. Sure. Are you also starting to do some other things that you didn't really know you were going to be doing? Absolutely. I mean, being the only guy in a small town and really being the only guy in between Iowa City and Des Moines, you know, in, in some respects, I have to take on a, a little bit of everything, you know, mm-hmm. for, for sure. I mean, my... 
my comfort zone is knee and shoulder. That's mostly what I did my fellowship in. You know, sports medicine is mostly knee and shoulder injuries. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I feel most comfortable. Shoulder in particular, my fellowship was very shoulder heavy. San Diego is a big shoulder town. Everyone surfs and, you know, they play tennis all year round. And and so it's a very, very shoulder heavy town. And so shoulder's kind of my bread and butter, but most certainly, I mean, having to take care of a small town and be the only guy in town, there's, there've been hand fractures and, and foot fractures and stuff that I didn't I actually I kind of expected to have to take yeah. care of but it's certainly not you know the stuff that I love to do but at the same time it's enjoyable it's to, kind of to be able to help out yeah. people that need it and again to save them a trip you know for, right. that would be an hour each way right do you also do in addition to what we consider sports stuff in, in your shoulder expertise do you do arthroplasty or joint replacements I do I've actually done quite a few shoulder replacements and I mean being where I am a lot of my subsetter patients are are older farmers and man it's it's perfect because they wear out their shoulders as well a, oh, yeah. a lot and so I mean I've probably done more shoulder scopes and you know degenerative shoulder yeah. scuff cuff stuff that kind of stuff and shoulder arthroplasties than anything which is great I mean yeah. and part of it's that it, it's my comfort zone so I'm probably more aggressive in booking that kind of sure. stuff, but it's also the businesses. They're there pretty tough, sure. though, aren't they? Farmers, pretty they're, tough. Oh man, they're the best. <laughs> they won't complain about anything. I Their know. arm will be falling off. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're great. Yeah, they're fun um, to work with. <laughs> and you, you're you're married. You have a one one year old, or uh, he he'll be three in August. Actually, oh, he'll be three. Okay. Yeah. And what do you guys like doing there? Do you do some uh, exercise or? Yeah, so um, the really interesting thing about Grinnell, I mean, it's a town of 10,000 people, but there's, I think, 13 little parks in that town. And so we have like three or four that are walkable from our house. So we love taking our son to the different awesome. parks. He loves playing around. He recently just got him started in a little gymnastics class. It has been a good opportunity for my wife to meet some of the other wives in town and, yeah. and things like that. Of course, with COVID times, it's all it's been yeah, a little, it's been crazy. little weird. And things are starting to open back up a little bit but it's definitely been a a weird transition time for sure but yeah yeah, but we're starting to get integrated well today we're going to talk about um, a certain area in the shoulder and um, what we call the labrum and the biceps which the biceps one of the heads of it attaches to the labrum Uh, can you tell us about the anatomy of what we're talking about today for sure so you know the labrum essentially what it is so i mean the humerus is a you know to break it down to general terms is a ball and socket joint and the socket is very shallow. The bony anatomy of the socket is very shallow. So you have this soft tissue structure called the labrum that helps to kind of deepen it and adds to the stability of the shoulder joint. And at the top part of the labrum is actually where that one head of the biceps, so biceps, two heads, essentially, um, you know, one of those heads attaches to the superior part of the labrum there. And it's a, you know, it's an important structure for, for it, it's a secondary stabilizer for, for superior and inferior translation the of the biceps shoulder, tendon. the biceps mm-hmm. tendon is. And so it's a very often injured part, and a lot of times it's a pretty big pain generator for the shoulder too. Mm-hmm. So it kind of wraps up around the ball, and so it's kind of, kind of a, a cumbersome position and certainly in mm-hmm. a place where it's very prone to injury. And, you know, I think it's one of those things that, that can be overlooked a lot because, you know, where you, we think shoulder, we're focused on the rotator cuff always. And then, you know, especially as we get older, there's a lot of parts of the shoulder that can mm-hmm. wear out in the mm-hmm. labrum, the superior labrum in particular is one of those areas. So tell us about, you, you mentioned that the biceps is 
bindings too. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about the heads of that and what the biceps does? Yeah, so the biceps, again, there's two heads, the first of which starts on the coracoid process, which most people can feel if you kind of press around and feel a bony part. In that the, hurts when you push on it. It hurts, exactly. Yeah. It hurts right when you push on it. So that's where the short head of the biceps attaches. And that really is your primary forearm flexor. And so that really, you know, and then it attaches down to your radius bone and your forearm. It's really important for your forearm flexion. So that's kind of the bigger, meatier part of the, the biceps. Now, mm -hmm. the long head of the biceps, the one that wraps around the ball and inserts on the labrum there, that's really more of a, a supinator, meaning that it kind of turns the palm towards the ceiling. And so it's really important for that. And, you know, so again, it's it's not, it's a lot wimpier than the, the short head. The short head's a much beefier tendon, mm -hmm. much more stronger insertion, much less prone to injury. Um, but the long head certainly, it's kind of a wispier, long, long tendinous portion. And again, more it, prone to injury. Exactly. And again, it has kind of, it wraps right around the, the ball of the humerus. And so mm -hmm. it, it can be very prone to injury. Mm -hmm. So supination, like twisting a key or turning yeah, a screwdriver or exactly. something like that. In fact, I just had a guy in clinic the other day that I know he either ruptured his biceps or has a superior labral tear. He was twisting in a screw, arm down here, felt mm -hmm. a pop, an immediate pain, can't lift his arm, and so getting an MRI of it. But now you let's, know, again, that. We should tell everyone um, the difference between this and what happens when you're – proximal is the top part of the sure. joint – distal biceps is different it's done by the elbow can you tell everyone the difference i mean what we're talking about with that yeah so you know d distal biceps rupture is certainly a you know another possibility that can happen and again i mean we're talking about the muscle does the same thing at both sides so it's a forearm flexor and a supinator mm -hmm. so certainly with both of those motions you can hurt either the proximal or distal end typically with the distal end you'll have elbow pain you'll have some weakness there it'll be difficult to lift objects and a lot of times people when they feel that pop they'll feel it in yeah. the elbow right yeah, and then, you know, so you can get what's called a Popeye deformity, and really you can get it on both sides. So if you you rupture at the bottom part, it'll ball up towards the top. If you rupture at the top part, it'll kind of ball up mm -hmm. towards the bottom. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, what does – so the labrum, we talked about how the socket is pretty flat, you know, mm -hmm. because the shoulder needs to have a lot of motion yep. because we do so much stuff with it compared to other ball and socket joints like the hip where the hip is – such a deep, well-covered socket that the bony anatomy is really constrained. You get less range of motion, but more stability. The shoulder sure. is the converse. This labrum builds it up to make it a little thicker. Um, what part of the labrum are people talking about when they say slap tear? I mean, it sounds like, you know, you got slapped and something ripped but what does that mean so it's one of those things that's really funny and you start saying it because you've said it that way for so many years that you don't realize it's like no one knows what a slap tear is you know but again any, any orthopedist knows what it is but so it's it's an acronym slap tear superior labrum from anterior to posterior so it's really that superior labrum that ends up getting torn which is again where that biceps inserts so a lot of times it's not an, a stability problem whereas you know people tear other parts of the labrum and mm -hmm. end up with an unstable shoulder like after shoulder dislocation sure. yeah um but with the superior labrum it's not necessarily meaning the top sorry meaning the top part okay. yes yeah. exactly so meaning the top part of the labrum which again it's Sometimes you can end up with some instability in the shoulder with a, a, a top part of the labrum tear, but usually mm -hmm. it's that bottom part of the labrum that's really more important for the, the stability. Stim and what I mean by stability is, you know, people come in and tell you shoulders popping in and out of joint. You know, a lot of times that's not a superior or top part of the labrum problem. Now, it certainly can be if it's mm -hmm. a big enough tear. Mm -hmm. 
So that superior labrum, usually it's more people will get biceps pain with that, and meaning that every time you know they're lifting objects, they get this vague pain in their shoulder, and they can't. It's hard for them to describe because it's a deep structure there in the shoulder, but they just know lifting objects, certain things are help are hurting because mm-hmm. whenever they're firing that long head of the biceps, it's pulling right on that torn part of the the top part of that labrum there and that can be really painful Mm -hmm. why don't we start with like one of the more simple things that is pretty commonly seen in surgery and tell us about what tendonitis of the biceps might act like and what your treatment would be for that yeah so you know it, it it's one of those things the biceps is one of those things that anytime i'm doing a shoulder scope i always tell my patients you know i'm going to take a good look at your biceps tendon and it's because of the biceps tendon the long head of the biceps is an intraarticular structure so we can see it when we're inside the shoulder joint and take a good look at it and a lot of times we can actually kind of pull it into the joint so we can even see a little bit further down mm-hmm. the biceps there and what you what a lot of times we'll see with a, you know clinically with somebody with with tendonitis is that again you know when they're really twisting a key and when they're flexing their forearm doing that kind of stuff they're getting this pain up in their shoulder again a lot of times it's kind of a vague pain but sometimes I mean it's pretty pinpoint and a lot of times with all my patients I'll kind of palpate their groove where if you rotate your arm back and forth you can actually pop over your biceps tendon mm-hmm. um, and so you know in some people that have biceps tendonitis that can be really painful and then I always do a couple different tests that really make them fire the biceps that can be really painful mm-hmm. to them and so a lot of times you know if it's somebody that I know their biceps is is inflamed in surgery once we get to that point um, you know I'll take a really good look at it and if it does look you know a lot of guys will talk about this lipstick sign where it yeah. basically will look like somebody took some red lipstick and painted all over the biceps so it's all red Which and then White. Yeah, it's normally you know totally white, you know, looking yeah. looking structure, and so sometimes you'll look and it'll look really angry, really red. And, you know, that isn't always an indication to do something with that biceps. But if it's a patient who I know their biceps hurts, I know they've been having problems with the biceps, then I'm far more likely to do Mm -hmm. something. What about before that? Do you do any kind of treatment like therapy or anything? Yeah, physical therapy, of course, is is an extremely important thing. And then injections really into the biceps tendon sheath can be very effective, too. And I've I've seen quite a few patients with really bad biceps Mm -hmm. pain that really respond pretty Mm -hmm. well to the injections. Tell us a little bit about, um, in particular, you know, throwing... People, athletes who throw or play tennis and things like that and what kind of injuries they can have to the biceps anchor at mm-hmm. the labrum and slap tears yeah so you know the a lot of those throwing athletes overhead athletes they end up the back part of their shoulder ends up getting a little bit tighter compared to the front part and it kind of throws off the mechanics of the shoulder and it makes it so when they're in that cocked position when they're throwing or serving or something when the arm is up above and you're you're in that cocked position that superior part of the labrum and even your rotator cuff, actually the back part of your rotator cuff can get kind of pinched in between those structures there. So it's a, definitely a, something that we see commonly in throwing athletes and, and mm-hmm. in tennis players and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And so it is an at-risk position for sure. The natural throwing motion is not a natural motion for the shoulder by any means. And, and I wanna, I'm sure one of the first things you check in your throwers, just like I do, is internal rotation. Yep. You know, there's a mismatch sometimes because if our viewers will look up like cocking phase and look for a uh, um, uh, professional baseball player, yep. that arm is ridiculously back. <laughs> yeah. And before we knew a lot about this phenomenon or stretching, people would have you know 120, 
20 degrees of external rotation and like 10 degrees of internal rotation mm-hmm. and you're setting yourself up for disaster. So right. all of our athletes, we really tell them to stretch that posterior capsule, right? Yeah. Yeah. In particular, there's a thing called sleeper stretchers where you have them lay on their side with the arm up here like this. And you basically just push down on the arm here and, you know, push against and then push even further yeah. to really try and get that internal rotation because, you, I mean, it's pretty amazing to see even, you know, on people with one side versus the other, <clears throat> excuse me, on their throwing arm. I mean, they'll have, right. you know, tons of external rotation and it'll be normal on the other side. And that's just from years and, and years of throwing yeah. and, and stretching that out. Luckily, I found, I don't know about you, but I found that a lot more coaches are really paying attention to that. Yeah, I, th- I think, it, you know, it's one of those things that ever since I've started resident I mean, I think it's something that we've we've kind of known, and mm-hmm. but even at, since then, I think that's something that that really we're starting to learn a lot more about our throwing athletes and how to protect them. You know, because again, this is stuff that we see. So I've got a few different scenarios for you to tell us about what you do. Sure. You know, one scenario is um, a sixty-year-old woman who does normal activities, and she notices uh, she had pain for a while in her shoulder. Now she doesn't have pain, but she's got a Popeye deformity where the, sure. the biceps goes down. Mm-hmm. So what's your diagnosis and what's your recommendation to her? So more than likely what she had and the shoulder pain that she had was probably from a biceps tendonitis, um, something going on with the biceps, maybe even a partial tear of her biceps. And now her biceps is actually ruptured. And the pain in her shoulder has now gone away because now that inflamed tendon isn't a problem anymore. It's now ruptured. The Popeye deformity that she sees is from, you know, that proximal, the top portion of the biceps getting ruptured, and then it just kind of balls up there. A lot of times what I tell my patients is, so the long head of the biceps, as we, we talked about before, is really a supinator, and it's really responsible for about, some people say 10, 20% of your supination strength, which in most people is not a, a clinically significant value. So a lot of times I tell them, for the most part, this is a cosmetic deformity. You know, sometimes some people do not like the idea of the muscle being balled down there, but a lot of times, as long as they're not having pain, as long as they're okay with the deformity, I say, we just leave this alone mm-hmm. and, and you'll be mm-hmm. doing just fine because, you know, again, it's mostly a cosmetic thing. Those, that 10, 20% of supination strength, most people would never notice, especially, yeah. you know, that 60 year old uh, female. I right. Don't think. Um, is there any correlation with a person like that and rotator cuff tears that you need to watch out for? For sure. You know, so, you know, if we look at an anatomy textbook, that long head of the biceps goes right up underneath that rotator cuff there. And so certainly, I mean, we're talking about the same area. And a lot of times if the biceps was partially torn or, or you know, injured, there's no doubt that the rotator cuff could be a problem too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times we don't see that that pain improves if it's a rotator cuff problem as well. Um, usually that's kind of an isolated biceps mm-hmm. thing, but I have seen that where somebody ruptured their biceps was feeling pretty good. And then they came back a couple months later and then you start worrying. It's like, Oh, you know, maybe right. your, your cuff was involved. You need to check too. that strength for the rotator cuff. And yeah. Maybe look into that more with an MRI or something like yep, that. Exactly. What about another scenario would be somebody who's uh, 50 year old laborer or you know works out they're having a lot of pain in the biceps you've tried everything non-operative mm-hmm. um, MRI shows that the biceps has some tearing in it sure but and maybe some labral tearing too mm-hmm. but the rotator cuff looks good sure surgically what would you do with them so I, in, in my experience um, so actually interestingly enough in residency we did a lot of biceps tenotomies where you basically just cut the tendon and again like we just talked about for the most part you really don't lose a lot of strength with that, it, you know, it's a difficult decision to have or difficult discussion to have with your patients to be like, I'm just going to cut your biceps, no big deal. And they're like, wait, you're going to do what? Mm-hmm. The the thing that we always used to t- tell people was that, you know, the general rule is that John Elway never won a Super Bowl with an intact biceps tendon. He mm-hmm. had a lot of sh- 
shoulder pain, and I think he actually asked them to cut it prophylactically just because it was painful quicker, and quicker rehab. Quicker rehab, exactly. Yeah. You know, and you don't have to. So it is a quicker rehab. So somebody that's looking like for to be in the sling for the least amount of time, the one that it's a decent option. But mm-hmm. for the you know workout guys or something, you tell them they're going to lose any amount of strength. They might end up with a Popeye deformity. They don't really like that. So mm-hmm. I do, and we did this a lot in fellowship. And so for most of my patients now, what I do with the biceps is I do uh, what's called a tenodesis. So basically by doing what I do there is I cut it off of its insertion on that superior labrum. And that way, if there is a biceps tendon tear or a labral tear or both, we're kind of addressing both because it's no longer pulling on that labrum. And then I make a small incision in the armpit, basically fish out that tendon and then dunk it into the humerus bone. So, you know, it maintains its tension, still works properly, but it also, you know, it's no longer pulling on the the mm-hmm. torn portion of the labrum. And a lot of times it's as we get further up on the humerus that the, the biceps tendon starts to become more degenerative and that's where a lot of the tears occur. And so usually we kind of cut out the torn portion of the tendon yeah. anyways with that because we really only use a small little bit of the tendon when we're doing that. And so, so you dunk that in a hole and do an interference screw? I do a, a little button. Yeah, so okay. you, you basically you thread the um, the tendon with some sutures. You put the sutures into a button, and then the button gets deployed into there, and then you pull back on it, and it basically flattens against gotcha. there. Um, what about I saw this guy? I saw a guy lately um, for a second opinion. Tell me what you do with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a scope to clean out the shoulder, and when they went in, they found that the biceps tendon was torn, sure. and um, didn't do anything. You know, cleaned up the shoulder, and told him when he woke up, you know. Yeah, the Popeye deformity was, it was, which was there beforehand, it's not just like you said, and like I tell my patients, it's not going to cause any problems. He came to me and said, "Did they do the right thing, or should they have tried to fix it at mm-hmm. that point in time?" What would you tell that gentleman who came to me? Yeah, so certainly, I mean, that that would be a, a discussion to have with them, and certainly, I mean, when we're talking about if somebody who's already got a ruptured biceps that has a Popeye deformity, that's a second incision that you have to make. You can't. It's very difficult to go and find that arthroscopically, fish that out and yeah. do that. So especially somebody who's going under the knife expecting an arthroscopic surgery and all of a sudden they wake up with an extra incision, yeah. sometimes, you know, that's a, a difficult discussion to have. So yeah. that might have been something that, you know, maybe you, you try and do a better job recognizing before surgery and talking to them like, hey, you got a Popeye deformity. I think your biceps is ruptured what do you want us to do with it? Because, again, I can go in, make an incision, probably fish it out. You have to make a little bigger incision, right? Then. Exactly, to go yeah. find it. Because sometimes, yeah. you know, more often than not, it gets kind of caught up there. But I, yeah. I've seen some that it wasn't up there, and yeah. you have to go search yeah. for it. So certainly, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I think it's, it's worth a discussion beforehand. But I think once you're there, if that was kind of a surprise to see, I think that, you know, that's a reasonable mm-hmm. discussion. And, you know, again, if they do end up wanting something done with it, I think going back in there to, you know, with just a – to go in straight directly for the biceps is a reasonable course mm-hmm. of action, but it's always tough to talk to a patient about, you know, extra incisions that they weren't planning on having yeah. and extra parts of the procedure that they weren't planning on. And longer rehab. Exactly. Too. Especially if they were expecting a clean out procedure where you can get it moving quickly. And now I've gone and I've repaired your biceps. Now you're going to have to wait, you know, yeah. a month in the sling. And so they, I think that that's a reasonable course of action. So sure. before, before we go on to like labral, the superior labral mm-hmm. repair, in like a high demand throwing person. Um, Tell me about the role of an MRI arthrogram, which means die in the joint. What's the role of an MRI and how good is it at telling you what you need to know about this problem? So the superior labrum is notorious for kind of getting missed, either underdiagnosed or overdiagnosed. I've even seen, you know, some people get called superior labral tears where it's really, I don't really think it is. 
I I do think that the the superior labrum is a tough tough thing to diagnose, you know, because again, a lot of times the patients will just have this vague pain. It's difficult for them to describe. There are a few tests that kind of isolate that area, but I think most of the literature says that really there is no specific test for a, a superior labral tear. Now, I have certain things that I do that I think are, are more often positive. And what people, are your tests that you like? I, I, you know, again, like I said, I fire their biceps, so I do the speeds test where mm-hmm. you basically have them straight their arm, push mm-hmm. you up. They do Jurgensen's mm-hmm. test where they supinate against you, and then the O'Brien's compression test. Mm-hmm. I also check the stability of the shoulder, again, if I'm worried about it, because some people can get really almost 360-degree labral tears, which have compromised the stability of the yeah. shoulder and yeah so again i think that's an important component too so labral tears the 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 anatomy of the of this area is variable through a lot of different people for sure sometimes the mris are not accurate yes so i have this pet peeve of uh it's probably my fault and not the patient's fault or the doctors that refer them to me but i've got a pet peeve when somebody comes to me and i say you know, can you describe your symptoms? And they say, I have a slap tear. I have a labral tear. Oh, yeah. Somebody told them on their MRI, yeah. they've got a labral tear, and now I've got to, I'm going to figure it out. But there's been a lot of misinformation. Absolutely. And we've got to start at the beginning and just talk about, you know, what are you feeling? Yeah. Tell me. Exactly. And especially in the older patients where you get into your 50s, you get into your 60s, when, you know, later than that. And they're all going to look at They're all going to have labral yeah. tears, you know. Yeah. And so they all fixate on that tear. But you examine them, and it's like your pain's coming from your rotator cuff. You right. know, your rotator cuff is inflamed. Now, right. it's not torn, but that is definitely a, a, a thing that I think we all deal with is yeah. how they see the word tear on their, their MRI. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where the you know, clinical diagnosis and, like you said, talking to your patients, you know, like what hurts you, what's bothering you, and then you know, that exam. Yeah. Where, again, when, you, when you're assessing their rotator cuff, doing their impingement signs and things like that, and that, that seems to be the bigger problem, right. a lot of times it's like your problem isn't your, your labral yeah. So again, as we're talking two different areas of the shoulder. For sure. Do you think that, so if somebody has a, they want, you're wondering between a labral tear and a rotator cuff tendonitis, um, from some, there's two different injections you can do. Yeah. One would be above mm-hmm. the rotator cuff where, yeah. where it wouldn't get into the joint and mm-hmm. one's in the joint. Do you use that as a diagnostic tool? 100%. I've done that way more than I ever expected to do, even just in the you know eight, nine months I've been in practice. But I've probably had four patients where I'm like... You know, I, I do think your your superior labrum is hurting you, but I also think your your rotator cuff is hurting you too. So I'll do a diagnostic lidocaine injection into the subacromial space. And subacromial means right beneath that shoulder blade, um, that top part of the shoulder blade there, which is kind of right on top of the rotator cuff, which mm-hmm. again, if that takes care of 100% of their symptoms, then I know their problem is not with the labrum and the problem is not with the joint. The problem is with the rotator mm-hmm. cuff versus, mm-hmm. or, and vice versa. If that doesn't help them at all, then, uh, you know, I know that it's probably their, their intraarticular, the labral problem, mm-hmm. that, that's a bigger problem. Now, if it gets half better, then that's I, tough. Just, that's I don't know art, what to do. That's the art of medicine. Yes, right. exactly. Um, so then we got a, a person who's a, you know, a 19-year-old JUCO college pitcher. It's their throwing arm, yep. and um, they've rehabbed as much as they can. They've struggled with this. You've tried a diagnostic injection. doesn't help. They've got an MRI that shows a slap tear. So... Uh, how do you treat this surgically? So, and what are the results like? Yeah, I mean, no matter no matter what, this results are not great. I mean, you know, with with superior labral 
repairs because a lot of times what you lose is you lose some of that abduction external rotation which a lot of the throwing athletes really need so they tell you the mom tells you that they want to go pro yeah well they all do of course yeah. every every 12 year old by the time they're mm-hmm. 12 they know they're going pro or not yeah <laughs> but for you know those, those are some of the most difficult patients to to treat because it, it really is because you know i think the return to play rates from a, a superior labrum repair are anywhere from 40 percent depending on what you read to 80 to 90 percent and mm-hmm. i think that our technology now is better so we're you know i'd like to think we're higher up there but it's still it's a difficult dis- discussion to have because you know again there is a chance you may go in there you may fix the problem but they may never pitch again yeah you know and so it's one of those things and you know i've heard guys and it still doesn't feel great to do and so i i don't do this myself but you know there were guys in my fellowship that talked about doing that tenodesis procedure that we talked about even on younger people now mm-hmm. it's a it's a it doesn't feel right or it doesn't feel great to cut a 19 year old's biceps yeah. tendon you know so but at the same time i think that you know i think we need more more literature more data out there mm-hmm. about which is better because we know that repairing the superior labrum has got variable mm-hmm. return to play rates and so it's definitely a discussion that you have with them be like look you know i may do this surgery on you and again i may fix the problem but you may not be able to pitch again and so mm-hmm. you know you i better make sure you've done six months of therapy and all sorts of everything that you can do because mm-hmm. a lot of times you know they even with a superior labral tear with good rehab program return to throwing program people can do mm-hmm. decent yeah so um and if you did fix it What's the typical? When can they get back to a throwing program with a super with a therapy? It's at least about two three months before they're even really picking up the arm. But really, better part of four or five six months we're talking before they're even just throwing soft toss. And Mm -hmm. so it's a lengthy recovery, Mm -hmm. probably nine months to a year before they're throwing pitches again. And so long time. You know, and that's another discussion to have. And again, when when you can't guarantee that in nine months to a year they're going to be doing great with it, it's it's tough. Yeah. Sometimes you know, again, once you've exhausted all those non-surgical options, they're miserable. They can't pitch the way that they are. And, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a super interesting area of anatomy for us as orthopedic surgeons. You've done a great job of uh, talking to us about the anatomy and the treatment. Um, Certainly, Grinnell is lucky to have you and your family there, and we're really lucky that you joined the DMOS family, and I appreciate you coming on our show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Baron. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Joint Effort, a podcast from Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. If you have questions about this podcast and wish to schedule an appointment with a surgeon, call 515-224-1414 or visit dmos.com. 